in a high-profile murder. The senseless killing of off-duty corrections officer Bikram Deep Randawa. BC gets alert ready. It is part of a number of tools that we will have to be able to alert people. From fires to floods, expanding the system that warns you of potential disaster. And housing market cool-off. Real estate market has definitely changed. Buyers have more opportunity out there. Home buyers get a slight break. And Vancouver offers new protections for renters too. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Remember this? Caught on cell phone, the bungling escape of a gunman who shot and killed an off duty BC corrections officer last May. Tonight, new details in the murder of Bikram Deep Randawa. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Randawa's family is speaking out today as Delta police clear his name in this tragedy. Police now say the brazen shooting that unfolded in broad daylight was a case of mistaken identity. Rumina Dea reports. 29-year-old Bikram Deep Randawa's family and friends always said he was innocent. Now police have confirmed it. As a result of the evidence secured to date, investigator, investigators are confident that Mr. Randawa's homicide was a case of mistaken identity. Randawa, a corrections officer who had aspirations of joining the RCMP, had just finished buying groceries May 1st last year when he was gunned down in the parking lot at Scottsdale Mall in a reckless daytime shooting. The suspect's amateur getaway captured on cell phone video. The vehicle dumped in Burnaby and torched. At the time, there were questions. Was Randawa involved? Was he targeted because of his job? Shocked loved ones always stood by him. The thing happened to him is out of my senses. I don't know how this thing happened to him. When we are, uh, when we are making all, developing all the theories, the only thing we get to is it could, uh, it's a mistaken identity. Investigators are now revealing they believe the killers mistook Randawa for someone else involved in the ongoing bloody gang conflict in the Lower Mainland. We know who the intended target was and we have made contact with the intended target uh, and notified them that they, that they were the intended target of this homicide. Uh, but as to who they are and, and how they play into all of this, obviously we can't release that. Uh, it's sensitive information, uh, but it is gang involved, yes. I spoke to the victim's brother. He told me Bikram Deep's reputation is important. Today's announcement proves he was not guilty of doing anything bad. The next step is justice. Today it's Bikram Deep. Tomorrow it's someone else. We don't want this to happen to anyone. So investigators have identified the target. They've identified the suspects, but no charges have been laid. Romina Dea, Global News. And not far from where that shooting happened, police are investigating a fatal accident that happened this afternoon. Dozens of police cars are at Scottsdale Centre Mall near the McDonald's. Delta police say they've received many calls about an apparent hit and run. Witnesses reported seeing a large truck hitting a man who police say unfortunately passed away at the scene. Police say there is some indication the driver may not have been aware of what happened. That driver has now been located and is reportedly cooperating with police. A strange twist now in the search for a B.C. man who was among Canada's most wanted for killing a well-known B.C. gangster. 
Last week, a $100,000 reward was issued for 36-year-old Jean Carl Larkamp for allegedly gunning down 31-year-old Jimmy Sandu in Thailand. Larkamp owned a home in Trail and returned to Canada after the shooting, but then disappeared. Today, Larkamp was identified as one of four people killed when a small plane crashed in a remote area of northwest Ontario on April 30th. No word at this point on the cause of the crash. The family of a young man who disappeared last September is offering a $10,000 reward for information. Devin Goodrick was last seen in South Surrey. And as Amadagahi reports, the family hopes this might help give them some peace. We want concrete evidence. 27-year-old Devin Goodrick from Langley, missing now for more than seven months. Each of those passing days slow and painful for his distraught family who to this day still has no answers. This has been a real tough time for the community that loves and knows Devin and uh, we, need, uh, we need some closure. It's, it's more than any of us can, can handle. On the night of September 24th, Devin Goodrick sent his sister a Snapchat. It showed him in a vehicle with three other people. His sister says she had reason to be alarmed by the others he was with that night. The next morning he was missing. Two weeks later, homicide investigators took charge of his disappearance. These people in Devon's past who have uh, knowledge of Devon's whereabouts and they know uh, that they are holding that information from us, which is torturing us on a daily basis. And I, I really need these people to come forward. Through fundraising, the family is now able to offer $10,000 as a reward to anyone with solid information on Goodrick's whereabouts. The integrated homicide investigation team says that this case meets its mandate of a high-risk missing person or a suspicious death, but won't talk about any details of what they've uncovered or learned so far. Goodrick's court appearances show he had been in trouble before for fighting in public, he also had driving prohibitions, but nothing to associate him with serious crime or gangs. Ahit has yet to say if this case is gang-related or targeted. If someone's afraid that they know something, it could be someone close to um, the individual or to the person that has actually perpetrated the crime. If you know something, do not feel afraid. Call into Crime Stoppers and your anonymity is protected. I don't know what more I can do. We have to keep pushing to get our, our family member back home. Amadagahi, Global News. Approximately 200 people have been displaced by an apartment fire in Abbotsford. The flames first spotted in a fourth floor unit around 6 o'clock this morning and it spread quickly. It's believed everyone was able to get out safely, but damage is extensive. The building is located just behind the co-op at Mount Lehman and Sandpaper Drive. Crews were called in from Mission and Langley to assist Abbotsford firefighters. There's no word at this point on what might have caused the fire. He said there was a lady on their floor that just started running down the hallways and banging on doors and screaming fire, fire, and they didn't have two minutes to do anything and just out the door. His girlfriend came out with no shoes on. He had no jacket. It's just... And when I come outside, I could see the whole top of the roof was on fire with smoke. And at that point, I was like, okay, this is bad. Yeah. So then I see, I saw people going into the parkade and quickly grabbing their cars, and I thought, okay, you know, if this spreads, I quickly pulled my car and pulled it out here. 
I think we're looking at approximately 160 units that were displaced. Plus, uh, behind, behind me here, where you're filming, there's uh, approximately a half dozen homes that were evacuated on the north side of the property. And then the, the businesses on the west side were evacuated as well. Displaced residents are being urged to register at Northview Church on Downs Road. Well, as we head into wildfire season, the province is expanding its alert ready system. They've used the system for amber alerts and tsunami warnings in the past. And now, after pressure from the public, they will notify residents of flooding and wildfire threats. Richard Zussman has more on the expansion. They are used for amber alerts, for tsunamis, and now the alert ready system will be used for imminent threats for floods and wildfires. Now, more than ever, we need to be ready. In November, the province contending the alert system wasn't needed for the major flooding event, instead relying on social media and local outreach. Uh, what the heck took so long? Uh, this is a national alert system that was actually ready to go seven years ago. On Wednesday, the province will be testing the alert system. At 1.55 p.m. Pacific, everyone will receive a text message. When the system is active, the municipalities will be the ones that ultimately decide if those in their communities get a text. It is a tool. Um, it is not a silver bullet. Uh, it is part of a number of tools that we will have to be able to alert people. There are substantial worries from experts this could once again be a bad flood and fire season. Right now, the Basin Snow Water Index is at 114% and growing. Normal is 90 to 110 percent, moderate 110 to 120, and high above 120. Flood worries, especially high in the Upper Fraser, Caribou Mountains, Upper Columbia, West Kootenays, and the North, compounded by the impacts of major weather events. You know, certainly, over the past year, we've experienced a number of um, extreme events across the, the, the landscape, and that is increasing risk this year, particularly in areas that experienced wildfire last year and the cumulative effects that that can bring. Where the alert system will not be used? Extreme temperature events, either hot or cold. We had 600 British Columbians lose their lives this past summer, and uh, an alert system would have gone a long ways. Uh, right now there's work that's underway with the, uh, the Ministry of Health uh, on what the parameters should be in terms of a heat warning. Meaning, if another heat dome comes this summer, there's no guarantee that that new alert will be ready in time. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Some pretty shocking wait times for parents trying to get their child emergency care at BC Children's Hospital over the weekend. More than nine hours to see a doctor in some cases. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, the problem might be at least partly connected to the shortage of family doctors. Just bend your head towards me. For hundreds of thousands of British Columbians, finding a family physician is nearly impossible. Included in that number, without consistent access to care, are children. I'm going to look into your left eye now. Over the weekend, that struggle was plain to see as the wait time at Children's Hospital's emergency department surged to unmanageable levels. According to the emergency department wait time estimator, a patient would have sat in an overcrowded waiting room for more than nine hours just to be seen by a doctor. By Tuesday, the situation improved. Around lunchtime, the wait less than three hours, but still nine to be discharged. Doctors of British Columbia say the current situation across the healthcare system is unacceptable. 
In all aspects, we need to realize that emergency rooms are for emergencies and the issue with patient access has been flooding our gates in our emergency departments and overwhelming an overburdened system. The crush on hospitals has been constant for months. At the end of April, Victoria area hospitals forced to look at drastic measures to deal with capacity constraints. Children's Hospital has had dozens of new COVID cases over the last week, but according to the health minister, the triage system in place is still functioning. If your child is seriously ill, they're going to get care and they're going to get care right away. And when that child gets care right away, that delays people who are waiting but can wait. And that's what happens at every emergency room in BC. Children's Hospital didn't provide any comment about this weekend's wait times. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, the numbers are staggering. For 18 consecutive months, BC has lost more than 100 people every month to toxic drugs. Keith Baldry is live with more. Uh, Keith, it's devastating. We get those numbers every month, and yet nothing seems to change. So what can be done? Yeah, the story never goes away and it never changes. It's another bleak report on a monthly basis from BC's chief coroner, uh, totaling up the number of people who died from illicit drug toxic toxicity deaths. Again, in March, 165 people passed away. That's the second highest March total uh, since the crisis began a number of years ago. As you mentioned, 150 deaths have been recorded for 18 consecutive months, a year and a half now. 85% of those deaths have occurred indoors at residences and hotel rooms. Here's the hardest hit areas on a per capita basis. Vancouver, Thompson Caribou, Northern Interior and Fraser East. Addictions Minister uh, Sheila Malcolm today keep in mind people are using drugs recreationally are also dying. We're not just talking about hardcore addicts here. It's uh, casual drug users. Also Trevor Helford, the BC Liberal uh, critic says it's time for the government to spend more resources when it comes to prevention and recovery. But we also recognize, and the coroner notes this too, there are a lot of people that are occasional recreational drug users who have also been hit by this just tragically toxic drug supply. So we're, we're continuing to expand the medical approach and, and looking at a multitude of ways to, to keep them safe in this public health emergency. We need to do what we can do here in British Columbia. And that means to be talking about things like recovery, prevention, things that we can control right now. And that's what this government needs to focus on. So Sheila Malcolmson, the minister, also told me that she's in constant contact with Ottawa over BC's request to decriminalize small amounts of drugs for personal use. She says progress is being made on that. We may have a, a, an announcement relatively soon, and that could go a long way to making the drug supply more safe than it is right now. It's a poisonous drug supply, and that's why so many people are dying on a monthly basis. All right, thanks for that, Keith Baldry in Victoria. Buyers getting a bit of a break in B.C. real estate. The latest evidence, the market is starting to cool off in just over a minute. A roadside attraction preserving a dark part of B.C. history. Why the Tashmi Museum is definitely worth a visit. And I kid you not, a goat born without hair. The loving family who adopted it later. I saw what you did there. Right now, though, rising interest rates have helped push Metro Vancouver home sales down from last year's record pace. But that doesn't mean prices are dropping. Still, as Catherine Urquhart reports, there are some positive developments for those looking to get into the market. 
Metro Vancouver's red-hot real estate market has slowed significantly. New numbers from the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver show that in April, residential home sales in the region totaled 3,232, a 34% decrease compared to April of 2021, when 4,908 sales were recorded. Between March and April of this year, there was a 25.6% decrease in sales. Mortgage rates, as you know, have ticked up in the last month and a half. It's affected the market. Welcome to this beautiful open concept. While sales have slowed, prices haven't dropped, at least not yet. The benchmark price for all residential properties in Metro Vancouver is just over $1.374 million an 18.9% increase over April of 2021, a 1% increase compared to March of 2022. Real estate market has definitely changed. Buyers have more opportunity out there. Multiple offers have died off. A recent Ipsos poll for Global News showed younger Canadians are now open to co-ownership. 78% of Gen Z respondents would purchase with others. 58% of millennials would be open to co-ownership. A lot of people are are looking at the home ownership question in a new way. As you said, considering um, other alternatives like buying a home with somebody else or, or a partnership or even just putting their money somewhere else. What's next for Metro Vancouver's real estate market? I'm telling all my clients right now, make sure you're educated on the market. Make sure you understand some sellers' expectations because many sellers out there are still expecting multiple offers. But with the market slowing down, you have more opportunity. But could those opportunities be even better in the months ahead? That's what many are asking about Vancouver's real estate market, which remains unpredictable and frustrating for many potential buyers. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Vancouver's mayor is promising to protect renters from being pushed out by the West Side subway line expansion. Council is expected to vote in two weeks' time on the Broadway plan, and Kennedy Stewart says it will include some of the strongest renter protections in the country. The aim is to have thousands of units of below-market and social housing built along the route and prevent rent evictions of those who are living there now. The mayor says the final plan must limit speculation focus building in areas without existing rental buildings, and replace older rental buildings only when they approach their end of life. In the rare event where a a tenant may need to relocate, the plan must also include provisions to provide generous choices to these tenants, including one, either a cash payment based on the length of time they have lived in their home, or two, the right to return to the new building at rents at or below what they currently pay. The mayor says in 2021, the city approved 9,000 new homes, more than half of them for renters. Well, we told you last night about staffing challenges and long lineups at YVR, and it seems the labor shortage is hitting other BC airports as well. Kelowna International Airport is facing difficulty recruiting and retaining employees. The airport's director says that's because of the mass layoffs during the COVID-19 pandemic. Many people decided to leave the industry and haven't come back. The lack of staff has impacted services and wait times at the airport. Uh, we do have um, a shortage 
of, of, of resources uh, with, with people here at, at the airport. And we're competing with a whole bunch of different uh, sectors, and we're trying to raise that up. And you'll notice, for example, some of our concession services aren't open at the full hours that we would like them to be open at. Travelers departing from Vancouver International Airport and Toronto Pearson have faced long security lineups for days due to a shortage of federal security screening officers. Up next, a helping hand for a Ukrainian refugee. All of this here is for you. Forced to leave her life and career behind, how this makeup artist is getting a new start in BC. And the shocking development that reopens the abortion debate in the U.S. Taking a look here at the Portman Bridge, we have some typical rush hour traffic for your rainy and wet Tuesday evening commute, but no unusual delays. Highway 17 east and westbound is running smoothly, as well as the nearby Mary Hill Bypass is now problem-free following an accident earlier this afternoon. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. In the Global Traffic Center, I'm Jeremy Tubbs. In Ukraine, there are reports of strikes on the western city of Lviv. This as dozens of Ukrainians who spent months holed up in a steel plant bunker have reached safety. And while those evacuees are hoping to reconnect with loved ones, Russia continues its assault in eastern sections of the country. Global's Kyle Benning has the latest. After a brief pause, the shelling in Mariupol continues. The Russian military's offensive to try and secure parts of the Donbass growing stronger as more flee to safety. About 100 people who were evacuated from the Mariupol steel mill during a ceasefire have reached safety in Zaporozhye. This woman named Tatiana says she doesn't want to start her life from scratch and that the life she had written for herself before the invasion was clean and light. She says she wants to return to that life, but no, she can't and has to start a new chapter. The Red Cross has boots on the ground and is helping people evacuate. Its head of delegation says he can imagine what it's been like for the women, children and seniors who have been held up in the plant for weeks on end. Without being able to go out, uh, fearing that your life may end within seconds, I can just imagine the traumatized, uh, how people can be traumatized. Meanwhile, Western leaders are reaffirming their support to Ukraine and President Vladimir Zelensky. I have one message for you today. Ukraine will win. The British Prime Minister spoke virtually to Ukraine's parliament Tuesday. Boris Johnson says the United Kingdom will send nearly $500 million Canadian worth of military equipment to the country. Explosions have been heard in Lviv, with the mayor saying strikes hit power substations and cut electricity in parts of the western city. The Russian Defense Ministry says it hit hundreds of targets on Monday and Tuesday, including troop strongholds and command posts. Kyle Benning, Global News. Well, refugee from Ukraine got the surprise of her life today in Vancouver and a lesson about the generosity of Canadians. Grace Key was there when she saw the donations that'll change her life. We have some things for you. We hear, <laughs> we hear that you're a makeup artist. <laughs> oh my God. All of this here is for you. 
to start your yes, very serious to start your journey here in Canada. 25-year-old Ukrainian refugee Valeria Stashenko is getting just a few things to help with her new life in Canada. Let's take a look at your <laughs> Christmas presents. <laughs> Valeria arrived in Canada six weeks ago with two sweaters and a pair of jeans. Through mutual contacts, she found housing and got a job with a makeup studio, but she's had to borrow all her supplies. Oh, this is like, I'm so shocked. Like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do with all of this, but I will try to um, use everything for sure. <laughs> Beauty and fashion school Blanche McDonald reached out to vendors to help set Valeria up. Oh, lip liners. They're also offering a scholarship to their college, but they're giving her much more than her own supplies. Joy, relief, um, just a chance to breathe, to celebrate. I can only imagine, you know, there's so much weighing on her. Her family is still in Ukraine, including her seven-year-old sister. My mom, she wants me to cross the border with Slovakia. And uh, I asked her, like, can my sister go with me? And she's like, no. Because it might be very hard for me uh, to take care of my sister because she's, like, very young. Valeria's grandmother has dementia and mobility issues, so some family stayed in the home seeking protection between two walls while Valeria and her sister hid in a bunker for three days. I don't want her to remember this war. I don't want her to know how it's sitting on the bunker and listening to how... Her father is now fighting in the war. She's been able to video chat with her family regularly. It's very hard when you can live normal life here, just, just like trying to live normal life here, but you know that your family is still there and you don't know what to do. You can't do like nothing to help them. Grace Key, Global News. Coming up, uncovering secrets in southeastern BC. That history needed to be honored more than just a sign out in the highway. They'd... The renovation that revealed details about the mistreatment of Japanese Canadians. And the leaked Supreme Court document that this has stricken fear into the hearts of many American women. Taking a look here at the Patella Bridge. It's just chugging along with no delays this evening. Whether you're heading down into Surrey onto King George Boulevard or up into the New West Burnaby area, other than a little drizzle, it's problem free. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $34 million. A Lotto Max, a dream to the max. In the Global Traffic Center, I'm Jeremy Tubbs. They have tried it on SkyTrain and in local hospitals and schools. And now Vancouver Airport has become the first in Canada to install copper on high-touch surfaces to protect passenger health. YVR has partnered with Tech Resources to install nearly 1,000 antimicrobial copper applications on baggage carts, water fountains, and in washrooms throughout the terminal and airport offices. Tech, which is funding the program, says copper has proven to be effective in eliminating up to 99% of harmful bacteria within two hours of contact and helps reduce the spread of infection. Protests have erupted outside the U.S. Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. after the leak of a draft opinion that could see abortion rights overturned. Global's Jennifer Johnson has more on the stunning development that some say would not only affect women's rights, but the rights of many others as well. 
The U.S. Supreme Court's bombshell leaked draft is the news anti-abortion advocates have waited almost five decades for. The document, which Chief Justice John Roberts has confirmed is authentic, indicates the nation's highest court will overturn Roe v. Wade, the 1973 landmark ruling that legalized abortions nationwide. If they're willing to undo 50 years of precedent, safe abortion access for all of us across this country, what else are they willing to do? In the 98-page document, Justice Samuel Alito, writing for the majority conservative court, stated there is no constitutional right to abortion services, and the decision should be made by individual states. Currently, about half of U.S. states want to ban or severely restrict abortions. If the draft opinion stands, what it means is that women will live in two very different Americas. A leak from the Supreme Court is almost unheard of. All deliberations are kept secret. The draft was written after the justices heard a case challenging a Mississippi law banning abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. President Joe Biden is concerned other high court decisions like legalizing same-sex marriages are also now in jeopardy. It's really quite a radical decision. It's a fundamental shift in American jurisprudence. Democratic leaders of Congress say they will act immediately before the midterm elections in November, while Democrats still have control of both the House and the Senate. It is my intention for the Senate to hold a vote on legislation to codify the right to an abortion in law. This is as urgent and real as it gets. An investigation into who leaked the document is underway. The court's chief justice says it is not their final decision. That is expected to be released in June or July. But millions of American women now believe the court will soon end their legal right to choose to have an abortion after five decades. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. Coming up, a barnyard surprise that's one of a kind. He said, no, she's naked, she has no fur. The hairless baby goat that's getting a lot of cuddles these days. And later, the fascinating story of the Tashmi internment camp and the Japanese Canadians forced to go there. This May, join me for the BC Cancer Foundation's Workout to Conquer Cancer. Sign up on your own or as a team, and let's move every day this May and help change cancer outcomes. Register today at workouttoconquercancer.ca. Well, they say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but I will tell you one thing. They had better weather there. Yeah, yeah. Baseball <laughs> practice was canceled tonight for some of the kids, Christy. Yes, that is going to be the case this week, unfortunately. It's tough because this baseball season is so short for a lot of kids, so uh, any rain is not welcome. Uh, you know, you, you wish that Sophie wishes she was in um, Vegas. Well, how about in the interior today? That's where we saw sunshine and highs in the low 20s, believe it or not. Meanwhile, this was the case across the south coast. Once again, below seasonal. 13 degrees was our daytime high in Metro Vancouver. Typically, we'd be up to 15, but check out the interior. 23 in Asuyu's, 22, Kamloops, Salmon Arm, Nelson, uh, Castlegar, you saw 22 as well. And that was because of a little surge of milder air in through that region. But that's going to change. You may see one close to 20 degree day tomorrow, but then this big upper level trough, which has been the pattern all the way through April, where these big pools of cold air shift down across the province. So, Kelowna, this is what you can expect. So, temperatures still in the 19, 20 degrees, but then you're going to drop late in the week 
we're talking about the potential for six degrees below seasonal for this time of year. Now, Metro Vancouver is going to just stay below seasonal and it's going to fluctuate, but we could see highs of only 11 degrees. So we're talking about good four degrees below seasonal for this time of year. And it could get even colder as we head into the weekend. So here's a look at the forecast for tomorrow. Periods of rain, some cloud cover pushing in through the interior tomorrow with showers, but the bulk of the rainfall will be across the south coast. Now, Metro Vancouver, there's a chance we could see a little bit of a lull in the rain tomorrow afternoon, but it will push back in by the evening hours. And there's your forecast in terms of temperature over the next several days. Cool and wet, so not great for baseball, that's for sure. Mother's Day, hopefully a bright spot, but that's still days away, so make sure you keep tuning back in. Tonight's central windows weather window from a couple of days ago, but I love this shot. Ice cream, uh, blossoms coming down, the daffodils out. Feeling like spring, although it's not right now, that's for sure. All right, guys, back to you. I mean, ice cream is anytime, really, anytime. Of the Middle day. of winter. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Christy. <laughs> a rare animal has been born on a Vancouver Island farm, a baby goat that acts just like a normal goat, but with no hair. It's so rare, the local vet had never seen or heard of such a thing. And Kylie Stanton has more on the unique story of, yes, the hairless baby goat. There are horses, wild boar pigs, goats, the list goes on. We have chickens and some ducks, a donkey. All of them lucky enough to call Maple Heart Ranch home. But now there's a new kid on the block. Big surprise for us. The baby goat was born last Friday. It needed a little help coming into the world and made quite an impact upon arrival. I didn't know what to do, what to think. She has no fur. The couple feared the worst, but the surprises just kept coming. He picked her up and she looked right at him and he uh, put the finger in her mouth to see if she can suck. We're like, oh my gosh, what should we do with her? This is the mom, this one right here. Despite their best efforts, the mother did not take to the baby girl, fittingly named Precious. And so she was brought into the home where her caregivers have been working around the clock. He's the daddy. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had much sleep. Each morning, Rogers milks the mother goat, feeding the little one every three hours. My girl. And repeats that process for the night shift. All of it now being documented on TikTok as the bond and the baby become stronger. She's gaining weight, she's eating, everything what other baby goats do. But it turns out a hairless goat is incredibly rare. The couple called their vet who said they'd never heard of such a thing and had no cases to compare it to. So we will have to make sure she gets the proper care and the proper housing. The goat will remain in the home for the foreseeable future. But because the homestead is off-grid, that comes at an extra cost. A GoFundMe is now set up to meet the goat's needs. Our animals comes first. Um, you know, whether it's the goats or the pigs, we help them, they help us. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Little one. <laughs> so... And, so cute. And, and Squire, you wanted to weigh in on... Well, I just, I, I heard a GoFundMe, and I thought, is it a GoFundMe or a GoatFundMe? Uh-huh. <laughs> Whatever the case. <laughs> I actually thought I had heard that. It wasn't just like some sarcastic <laughs> remark from me. I actually thought... Because that would never happen. No, that would... Oh, <laughs> um, well, remember yesterday we were talking about Bruce Boudreau, and he'll come back for sure. Well, he can come back if he wants to be head coach of the Canucks next season, but... He's not getting a contract extension. Hmm. So now you wonder, 
would he think about going somewhere else where they're going to give him a longer contract? Anyway, we'll talk about what Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine had to say today about Boudreaux and the whole Canuck situation going into the summer. Fascinating press conference today. Thanks, Squire. Also tonight, honoring the people Canada once condemned to internment camps and how this museum can help heal. Wasn't a lot of warmth in today's press conference for Bruce Boudreaux, it seems. It was uh, a little bit different than a lot of people thought it would be. And the one thing I can say is think about it this way. Bruce Boudreaux was hired first. He was not selected by Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine. That's not to say they don't like him, but he wasn't their choice as head coach. Anyway, Alvine and Rutherford had their chance to talk about the Canucks. And as we just said, their talk wasn't quite as uplifting as Bruce Boudreaux was yesterday. It wasn't like they were down on everything. There's obviously a lot of optimism from what happened in the back half of the season. But they did make one thing clear. The option year on Boudreaux's contract that will take him through next season is the one he will have to work with. In other words, no extension, which surprised a lot of people around the NHL. When it comes to the head coaching position for the Vancouver Canucks next season, management made it clear the decision is up to Bruce Boudreaux. Well, in our agreement, both sides have till June 1st. Our talks with him have been very positive. He's well aware that we appreciate and respect, respect the job he's done. Explain to him why we're doing it the way we're doing it and why we want him back. But also with with the understanding that, you know, continue to do the job you're doing. It doesn't mean this is your last year in Vancouver. But even strong play down the stretch, which included a push to make the playoffs, wasn't enough to secure a contract extension. The structure of the team is one area where Rutherford believes the team can improve through coaching. Our exits from our defensive zone are not good. Probably one of the worst in the league, okay? We have defensemen that are certainly capable of playing better if, if they had that structure. Even though Boudreaux was known for being a player's coach, by not having a long-term deal in place, there's a chance that players won't view him as being a part of the club's future. But I don't view him as a lame duck, duck coach. If you have a strong enough organization that supports the coach, and if people that suggest he's a lame duck because the players will decide not to listen to him, that won't happen. The players that start not listening to him will be gone before him. Or will Boudreaux be gone before it even gets to that? We'll find out just how much he likes the Canucks' young talent because if he wants a long-term coaching deal, it won't come from Vancouver this summer. There are currently three teams in the market for a new coach, Detroit, Winnipeg, and Philadelphia. And that list could grow before he has to make his decision by June 1st. Well, aside from... uh wait and see as to what Bruce Boudreaux wants to do. The big thing for Rutherford and Alvin is trying to figure out whom they should sign player-wise, whom should they should let go. Vancouver has Brock Besser needing a new deal this summer. JT Miller and Bo Horvat, they'll soon need new deals as well. So at first glance, it doesn't look like Vancouver will be able to keep all of its big money players because of the salary cap situation. But the general manager says even though He needs and wants more room underneath the salary cap. He's got to be smart about it. 
But I mean, saying that, I, I don't think you just want to create cap space. We want to get better, too. Uh, we're always looking, um, as Jim mentioned here, to improve our team. Um, and I think that's part of you know, working with your cap space and the current cap situation. If you want to really break it down and, and look at the future of what we got, we'd like to see our team play a more structured game and not depend on our goalie as much. But we certainly feel that there's some enough good players here to continue to build here in the next year or two towards getting to be in a consistent playoff team and a contender. Well, the Abbotsford Canucks are a playoff team. They're about to start a best-of-three series against Bakersfield, the Oilers farm team. That game will start in about 10 minutes. All three games are scheduled to be played in California. The Canucks have been reloaded with some players that were with Vancouver, including Vasily Podkolzin, who is eligible to play for Abbotsford. Got to show you this again from last night. The Vancouver Giants, that is a huge upset. Beating the Everett Silvertips in six games. This is game six last night. Vancouver had a huge game from their captain, Zach Ostapchuk, at five points in the game. So Vancouver will now play Kamloops in the second round. That series will start on Friday. I don't think Vancouver and Kamloops have played a playoff series in about 12 years. The Giants were 47 points behind Everett in the regular season standings. They needed the Hubble telescope to see each other. That's how far apart they were. But Vancouver pulls it off. So as we said, second round against Kamloops. Uh, that'll be fun. The BC Lions have picked defensive lineman Nathan Cherry as their first round selection in the CFL draft. Third overall, he played at the University of Saskatchewan where he had 24 tackles and six quarterback sacks. Now, I don't know if this right is right, but this is what they're saying. He's 6'1", but apparently weighs 271 pounds. Wow. Wow. Got, got some girth. He does have some girth. That's good in the trench. Yes, Thanks. Uh, Marcia just said it's like three of me. <laughs> that's true. Thanks, Squire. Not so sure that's a good thing. <laughs> Up next, the tiny museum off the Hope Princeton Highway, preserving an important part of BC's history. Strong is here with a preview of what we've got for you coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, RCMP and the North Okanagan say they are incredibly concerned tonight that someone may be intentionally trying to spark wildfires. This follows two fires near Vernon yesterday. And if you live in Greater Victoria, keep your eyes open for this bike trailer. It was stolen from a single mom whose eldest son is disabled. She's desperate to get it back. It was last seen near Gorge Road and the Galloping Goose Trail. We'll hear from the family tonight and hopefully we'll have some good news to share by 11. Chris. All right, let's hope so. Thanks, Jordan. Well, one of many of the dark chapters of our history is the internment of Japanese Canadians during the Second World War. More than 20,000 British Columbians were stripped of everything they had and sent to camps in the interior. One of the camps at Tashmi was located just outside or just east of Hope. And on This Is B.C., Jay Durant catches up with the man behind a museum, ensuring we never forget. Owning a museum is not exactly the career path Ryan Ellen could have anticipated. These koi's uh, were actually in Tashmi, uh, owned by the Tonagai family. It's a scale model. Of the graphic designer was originally going to turn this building in the Sunshine Valley into his new print shop, until renovations uncovered all kinds of historic artifacts. That's when we found a lot of these original attachment items like under the old floors, in the old you know, ceiling, uh, in the old walls. The shoe molds or the cobbler molds, and there was a shoe cobbler in Tashmi. 
That pocket knife is a 1940s Canadian Boy Scout pocket knife. And the original lanterns, that history needed to be honored more than just a sign out in the highway. This building was the butcher shop at the Tashmi internment camp during the Second World War, where at its peak, over 2,600 Japanese Canadians were forced to live. The picture is of a row of shacks. Howard Shimakura was four years old when he arrived with his family. He's glad visitors are learning about the history. The most uh, common reaction is, I didn't know anything about this. They were not aware of the internment, or if they were, it was just very superficial. It's meaningful to have tangible uh, physical space because you do get a sense of the lived experience, a living connection to history. No running water, no electricity, no washroom facility. It goes back to all my friends growing up who are of Japanese ancestry and realizing that their families were affected by this history. I've been told many times that the museum is very healing for the Japanese Canadian community. It's one of nine original buildings still standing on the Tashmi site. Ellen's now restoring the old kindergarten schoolhouse and hopes to keep expanding no matter how much time and effort it takes. Never has it felt like work. Hundreds of thousands of hours at this point. This is my passion project uh, and my labor of love. Jay Durant, Global News. And as always, if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC you'd like to share with the rest of us, just email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. It's a good place to check out on some road trips this uh, summer if we ever get through spring. I don't know if it's really started or not yet, Christy. (laughs) I hate to laugh because I know it's so tough. As Chris mentioned, you with baseball and there's lots of things that kids want to get outside uh, for. Now, over the next several days, we are going to still stay below seasonal. We've got rain on and off. There may be a little bit of a break in the action uh, in terms of rainfall for the Metro Vancouver region tomorrow morning, but it won't be very, uh, it will be short-lived. A bit of a bright spot potentially for Mother's Day, but don't uh, Uh, bank on that just yet still days away okay guys back to you (laughs) moms deserve it let's hope it comes thanks very much christy and thanks for watching everyone have a great night good night all Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.